The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight a community cut off by COVID. New South Wales cases refuse to lower. We'll go live to the hard lockdown zone. Construction crisis, major concerns for hundreds of thousands banned from non-urgent work sites from midnight. Victoria's outbreak spreads to the country as the AFL faces its biggest COVID emergency yet. The leading doctor who says our kids will be at risk if we don't start vaccinating younger age groups now. And new hope. The cavalry arrives. What a boost to Pfizer numbers means for future lockdowns. Our team of reporters are standing by around Australia and the globe tonight to bring you the latest developments on every angle as this Delta variant changes the game right around the world. But first, both Sydney and Melbourne seem set for lockdown extensions tonight as both finish dates draw closer and case numbers remain stubborn. 105 cases were reported in New South Wales with at least 27 infectious in the community, the number that authorities desperately hope to reduce. The death of a woman in her 90s from South East Sydney was also announced this morning. The fourth death during this outbreak. 76 have been hospitalised, 18 of those in ICU. In Victoria, 17 cases have been reported, including one in Mildura. Nonetheless, the Premier insists the outbreak is tracking as they had hoped, with all cases linked and no new strains of transmission. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian was today accused of backflipping on an announcement preventing most workers from leaving the Fairfield Council area. Have a listen. I'm not embarrassed to say that in public life yesterday was probably the most difficult day I've had personally because uh, we don't take these decisions lightly. They're decisions that affect lives and livelihoods. They're decisions that affect uh, millions of people. I'm not going to rule out that there won't be further tweaks because uh, dealing with a pandemic, there is no exact science and I've never pretended there is. Right, our reporter Serena Andalora is live in Fairfield at one of the testing centres there. Serena, good evening to you. Uh, first though, you have some breaking news involving New South Wales Police. Michael, good evening to you. I do, and this has only just been confirmed. Two New South Wales police officers have, or police employees rather, have tested positive. One of them is an officer associated with the State Crime Command, and the other is a civilian employee. Both are currently isolating at home, and all of their close contacts yeah. are in the process of being notified. And New South Wales police have been out in force over the past couple of days, so I'm sure there will be many. Indeed. All right. Now let's go to these changes. Some back and forth, Serena, on the rules. What is set to change tomorrow? Yeah, Michael, some gymnastics from the state government on the uh, restrictions here in the southwest. As you can see behind me, people really have turned out uh, with enthusiasm to be tested. Yesterday, they were told under no circumstances can they leave the local government area for work uh, unless they are a healthcare worker or an emergency services worker. But today, those, uh, those exceptions to that rule have uh, expanded. There are 35 exceptions to the rule among those who can now move around retail workers, government staff, teachers, agriculture workers, truckies and transport okay. workers. Now, public transport services across Sydney have also been slashed in a bid to try and deter people from moving around. Today we saw 105 new cases, 65 here in Fairfield alone. And we also saw, sadly, the death of a 90-year-old woman, the fourth COVID death. Yeah, and some word tonight that that number will be up over 100 again tomorrow. So we'll see what the Premier announces in the morning at a regular press conference. Uh, the, the question that everyone is asking, Serena, any guidance on when the lockdown will actually end? Will it be July 30 or be extended? 
Well, Michael, when it comes to the lockdown, the length of the lockdown, the number that really counts is the number of community transmissions. Today, that number was at 27. I've spoken to a number of government sources uh, who say they want that number at zero or close to, and uh, they're not very confident that we can get to that by July 30. They are preparing for an extension of the lockdown uh, with, with hopes that they can relax restrictions, especially in the space around construction, which is a huge economic blow. But the Premier has said that the numbers will be stubborn over the next couple of days. That's because it'll take a few days for the health settings that we've currently got in place to really take effect. Indeed. All right, Serena and Aloro in Sydney, thank you. I'm joined now by the Mayor of Fairfield, Frank Carboni. Mayor, thank you for joining me. Uh, what is your sentiment in the community tonight? What read are you getting from residents uh, in the morning? They should be going to work. Many are not allowed to now. Yeah, well, you can see behind me, Michael, you see that the community is coming out in force, getting tested. I think that in the next few days, we're probably going to have one test for every adult in Fairfield, and that's saying something, given that we have 200,000 people in our city. But the community is also confused, they're concerned, uh, they don't know if they've got a job left after this. A lot of the residents can't go to work, um, and I think that more needs to be done from our, from our leaders. Uh, I think there's a lot of confusion in the community, no doubt about that. On that point of confusion, are you any clearer tonight? Because there, there seemed to be a backflip today about allowing more people to leave the Fairfield area to go to work, but do you, do you have clarity on that? Well, we don't. I don't think, most importantly, I don't think the community does. At 11am yesterday we had a press conference that said one thing and then at 11pm it said something else. Uh, we've been inundated from people concerned about whether they can go to work or not and they're just really concerned about their jobs. Some of these people can't see their families anymore and now they're concerned about their jobs, as I said. And honestly, you really need a lawyer to go through yeah. some of those health orders. And it continues to change. The government needs to be clear about its messaging and needs to come clean with the community. Just be straight out and make it really clean straight from the beginning. How do you think the next two weeks are going to play out for the people in your area? Well, I think it's going to be tough. I really do. I think that the government is going to need to step in. There's going to be a lot of people that can't go to their jobs. I think the government should bring in JobKeeper because our community is suffering. It is a special, uh, it is a really a special, special instance here in Fairfield where a lot of the community can't get out. And 12 months ago, the government had JobKeeper and I think that uh, the government needs to step in to show leadership, to reassure the community that the government will be there for them because the, the, the community at the moment is confused um, and frustrated and they need a good, a good leadership to get them through this tough period. Mayor, the Chief Health Officer in New South Wales, Kerry Chan, urged families not to gather during the upcoming Festival of Eid, uh, which is this week, I'm pretty sure. Are you confident that preventing gatherings won't be an issue? I can tell you people in Fairfield are at home. Uh, we have people missing out on birthday parties, weddings and anniversaries. Only today one of our residents turned 100 and we would all would have loved to have celebrated that together. But unfortunately it's not the case. And it doesn't matter what festival it is, communities just can't go out. And I, uh, I really want to tell my community, follow the health orders, let's do the right thing. Yeah. The quicker we do this together, the quicker we get out of it together. Exactly right. All right, Mayor Frank Carboni, thank you so much for joining me. The shutdown of construction across Greater Sydney will not only cost the New South Wales economy $1.4 billion, but will affect more than a quarter of a million workers. Among them, construction boss Danny Abdullah, who you may recall has suffered more than most after losing three of his children last year. His concerns right now, though, are with dozens of his employees who found themselves out of work or forced to stay at home for at least two weeks. Danny joins us now. Danny, good evening to you. You've been in construction for 25 years, employed hundreds of workers along the way. How do you describe this shutdown of 
of all building sites. Ah, oh, mate, this is very, very surprising. I didn't think this would happen. I didn't think it even happened in Melbourne. So I thought New South Wales would never make that call. If they go for more than two weeks, it'll do temp permanent damage to a lot of homes, a lot of uh, businesses. It's, it's a very uh, scary time, I think, for businesses. Yeah, what is the flow-on effect then? Because it's not just the construction sites, it's all of the services that feed into it as well. The, 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 the greater impact, I think, is Correct. hard to measure at the moment, right? Look, if, if the construction site stops, all the logistics stop, materials for deliveries, so they're factory workers, uh, the consultants that go on site, it's just a massive knock-on effect. Mm. It's, it's, it's going to do a lot of damages, especially for, for building companies and developers. There's a lot of holding costs that they have with the banks as well, where when a job, so job site stops, it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars daily, the, especially the bigger jobs. So, and then that, that goes down to the, to the little blokes who are suffering as well. Mm. So it's, it's a, it just goes down the chain, all the way down to the, to the little bloke at home. At the moment, tradies have access to the government's disaster payments. I mean, is 500 or $325 a week enough to keep workers afloat for, for at least two weeks? That won't touch the sides, Michael. I don't think um, that's going to be enough. What do you think the government needs to do here? Obviously, it's, it's, it's a difficult problem. They've got to contain uh, these outbreaks uh, in southwest Sydney especially. Um, but do you think they need to fine-tune this, this broad announcement that they've made about shutting down all construction sites? I think they need to reassess it and maybe um, speak about the job. If the job has 500 people on site, maybe break it down and Monday, Wednesday, Friday have a portion of trades and then the Tuesday and Thursday so it spreads them out a lot more and at least the jobs keep going. I think that's that's probably a, a good good way to look at it and people that live in the southwest, like, you know, just, just drip feed just a few people at a time coming out to work. Mm. I mean, these are, these are blue-collar workers who are used to being on site, um, getting to all sorts of sites right across uh, Sydney and Greater Sydney. Um, mentally, how's that going to impact them? Oh, it's going to be tough. Just So these guys are used to always physically active all day long, on sites, walking around, getting things done, and all of a sudden to sit at home, it's, it is going to be uh, very challenging. It's going to have a big impact, as you said. Well, let's hope it doesn't go longer than two weeks and uh, you've got some good solutions in there. So if anyone from the government's listening, uh, just fine-tuning some of the restrictions might help uh, people survive through this. Uh, Danny Abdullah, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks, Michael. Take care. Victoria has passed the halfway point of its snap five-day lockdown, but it seems unlikely that outbreak will be suppressed in time, with fears a sports fan may have caused a super spreader event. Georgia Love is live at Amy Park for us tonight. Georgia, good evening to you. Now, where you are tonight is one of those areas of most concern. That's right, Michael. Two of today's 17 new cases caught the virus here at Amy Park during the Wallabies game on Tuesday night. There's now been two areas, two stands of concerns. A concern identified that sections 20 to 23 entering through Gate 7. Those areas have now been listed as a Tier 1 exposure site. Caught up in all this are six Sydney Swans players and staff members and nine from GWS Giants. They're now in ice 
isolation in Queensland. It means they'll have to forfeit their games this weekend. There's also been another super spreader event at the Crafty Squire pub in the city from early Monday morning. Another sporting event, the Euro finals. A super spreader case was there unknowingly with 404 other fans. So contact tracers are working very hard to identify them all now. Now, George, authorities revealed that the virus has spread beyond Melbourne to Mildura. Here's the Premier speaking about that earlier. The Mildura case just demonstrates um, the state, from, from a virus point of view, the state's a lot smaller than it might seem. That's the reality we're living. Problems out of Sydney have become challenges here. We have to be, have a very conservative approach to parts of regional Victoria and I know it is incredibly frustrating for people who are a long way from Melbourne, uh, but this virus can reach you, as we see with this Mildura case. So, George, what do we know about this case? Well, it's not good news for regional Victoria. In the press conference on Thursday when Daniel Andrews announced this snap lockdown, he suggested that regional Victoria may be able to come out of this lockdown early. That's essentially been quashed now with this case in Mildura. The man uh, was at the MCG on Saturday last week, which, as we know, is now a Tier 1 exposure site. He's returned to, to Mildura. Last night he presented to the ER and has since tested positive to COVID. There are 30 13 exposure sites that have been listed just in the last hour, all relating to this case. 11 of those are in Mildura. Two are from regional towns on the way between Melbourne and Mildura, which is a good 500 kilometres. So it's not a good sign, I think, yeah. for any of us coming out of lockdown nope, on Wednesday. No, it is not. Not good at all. All right, Georgia Love in Melbourne. Thank you. The AFL was thrown into more chaos tonight after several Swans and Giants players were forced into isolation hours before their Gold Coast clash. Let's go to our AFL reporter, Tom Brown, who's on the Gold Coast now. Tom, good evening to you. Talk us through what happened here. Michael, incredible scenes tonight. Our cameras capturing these shots with the Giants players leaving after the commencement of the game. 15 Swans and Giants officials reclassified from the Amy Park rugby exposure site as Tier 2 well after 5 o'clock this afternoon, including several Giants stars, DeBoer and Toby Green, one of the game's most famous players, and the Swans, including Callum Mills, Harry Cunningham and Colin O'Riordan. Now, further to that development in terms of those late withdrawals from the game, we've also reported tonight the Queensland Government is treating these Tier 2 exposure exposures as isolate for 14 days. Now in Victoria that standard is isolate and get tested but up here in Queensland they view those cases as now requiring 14 days isolation. Now the AFL is talking to the government behind the scenes but the upshot is there's a very real prospect will now have those players isolate and be out of the competition for at least 14 days and it looks like hard isolation which would be a huge blow to the competition but in particular the Swans and the Giants. That is chaos. So how's the AFL handling that and navigating the lockdowns from here on, Tom? Well, the AFL this weekend, in the main, has returned the clubs to Victoria, including Geelong, Richmond, the Bulldogs and North tonight. They've all gone back to Victoria. That's still the main focal point for the competition. Essendon, the only Victorian club staying up here in Queensland, they'll go, I think, to Noosa this week. But in terms of the fixture, I expect a six-team, three-game swap 
between around 19 and 20, which will be announced, I think, as soon as tomorrow for next weekend. The AFL intent on battling on. Gil McLaughlin, I understand the AFL boss, was disappointed that so many players and officials had been to the rugby on mm. Tuesday night, but they weren't breaching any of the AFL's protocols, and it wasn't really their fault. But obviously the risk now is there could be more reclassification yeah. for the rugby, possibly as high as Tier 1, which could affect other clubs that were impacted. Eight clubs had players or officials that had some degree of exposure to these sites during the week. So the AFL, in summary, bowling on, Michael, but yeah. it's getting harder and harder, particularly in light of these stunning developments here at Metricon tonight. Oh, there's a lot more changes to come. You can sense that, can't you? All right, Tom Brown there on the Gold Coast. Thank you. A cargo ship carrying up to seven crew members with COVID symptoms is due to dock in Western Australia today or tomorrow. The Premier, Mark McGowan, said the BBC California will berth in Frio, where it will undergo a medical review. The ship departed Egypt in June and has recently visited three ports in Indonesia. Queensland recorded no new community COVID cases today. Health officials are still continuing contact tracing efforts in the state's southeast after two outbreaks of the Delta strain last week. A family tested positive to the highly contagious strain after returning from hotel quarantine in Sydney and a vaccinated worker at Brisbane International Airport also contracted the virus. An additional three million doses of Pfizer have tonight landed at Sydney Airport fast-tracked to overcome Australia's vaccine shortages. Today's figures marked a significant milestone in our vaccination race. Australia's officially ticked over 10 million doses administered, more than 96,000 of those given in just the past 24 hours, the highest Saturday number to date. More than one-third of the population, over 16, have had one shot and over 13% now fully vaccinated. But looking at those in the higher risk categories, more than three-quarters of those over 70 are now protected with one dose and 59% of those over 50. I'm joined now by World Health Organisation advisor, Professor Mary Louise McClaws. Mary Louise, great to have you on the show again. Big arrival of Pfizer doses tonight. Um, maybe a little bold to perhaps go here yet, but is Australia's vaccine rollout finally back on track? Well, I think, um, uh, Mike, that it will be. Uh, this uh, delivery is great news. But I'd really like to see the 12 uh, to 15-year-olds added to our vaccination program. Uh, the US have an emergency use authorization for 12 to 15-year-olds, and I think it would be beholden to us to start thinking about vaccinating our adolescents. You're obviously watching these numbers from around the world getting worse again because of Delta and particularly affecting children. That's right. In England, the Public, Public Health England reports are, are constantly changing each month. But what is uh, staying um, stable, sadly, uh, is the fact that the young are now mm. the new target. Now, the uh, 18 to 24-year-olds in the UK have always carried a burden just like our um, 20 to 39-year-olds, they have a different age category. And our 20 to 39-year-olds have always carried the burden and they will continue to carry the burden given that our older population are now getting their second dose. So we need to focus on the 20 to 39-year-olds yeah possibly over um, the uh, 40 to 59-year-olds uh, because they aren't at risk of death or hospitalisation, such as the over 60s are, and they're not as high a risk of burden of infection and they don't spread it as much. And then, of course, the next group in England are the, are the, are the adolescents and the kids. I mean, you're, mm. um, you're seeing a much 
different pattern than we've ever seen before. The federal government's former deputy chief medical officer, Dr Nick Coatsworth, says Australia can consider ending lockdowns once 50% of the population is vaccinated. That's lower than what we thought, around 80% was predicted. Do you agree with that? I disagree, wholeheartedly disagree. 50% is nowhere near enough, and that's very much a UK uh, approach. And don't forget, many of those in the UK have had a natural infection, so they have some antibodies to protect them for several months. Our population are nowhere near that level of natural uh, immunity, and certainly nowhere near that for a vaccine-related immunity. And my estimates are within the estimates for Singapore um, and, uh, and China, mm. that we need a minimum of 67% of the total population and preferably 80%. And so 50% is a very dangerous yeah. um, cavalier approach. All right, Professor McClaws, good to speak to you again. Thank you. Stay safe. Australia's big banks have offered a lifeline for those across the country who are struggling financially in lockdown. Let's bring in our network finance editor, Jim Acton. Now, Jim, good evening to you. What are they offering? Well, it depends on the bank. So call your bank, explain your situation and find out exactly what they can offer you. But broadly speaking, for retail customers, home loan deferrals are back. Uh, harder this time than last time when it was a blanket as long as you like type situation. This time it's more likely to be month by month and more case dependent, but there is a possibility. So call if you need that. Yeah. For businesses, there's a whole assortment of different measures to help. Uh, three, mo three month loan deferrals, three month merchant terminal fee refunds, free restructuring of loans. If you want to withdraw from a term deposit, you won't be struck with that. that prepayment penalty. So lots of different things available, uh, again, depending on your bank, and they keep evolving. Uh, and the impression I'm getting is that they're very much sympathetic to certain situations. So explain mm. your situation, they'll see what they can do for you. Let's talk about what help is available for workers. Um, many in Victoria and New South Wales now finding themselves out of work, perhaps only temporarily, but they could flow on. Um, what help is available to them? Well, the good news is that anybody in New South Wales and Victoria can now apply for this. So if you've lost at least 20 hours of work a week, you can get $600 a week. If you've lost between 8 and 20 hours a week, you can get $375. It used to be restricted to people just in lockdown areas. It used to only kick in after a certain mm. amount of time, certain amount of weeks of lockdown. Now it's from day one of lockdown. It's to anybody in either state who can prove that their business, that their working hours have been impacted. And there's no liquid acid test. So before you had to prove you didn't have a certain amount of cash on hand. Now it's anybody except if you're already receiving government support. So people who might be on youth allowance or some sort of study yeah. support, they're not eligible. Go to the website, Services Australia for Workers, uh, small business website in New South yeah. Wales, the coronavirus Vic website in, in Victoria. They have very clear lists of exactly what people are eligible for. Again, evolving fast this situation so just keep checking yeah all right good advice jenna thank you thanks michael well, the U.S. has seen COVID-19 case numbers rise in states where vaccination numbers are low. It's prompted a message from the head of the Centre for Disease Control that it's becoming, Without quote, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. The U.S. has seen a 70% increase in cases in the past week, with COVID deaths up 26%, most of them people with zero protection against the virus. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage and communities that are fully vaccinated are generally faring well. 
The good news is that if you're fully vaccinated, you are protected against severe COVID, hospitalization, and death, and are even protected against the known variants, including the Delta variant. Well, our Europe correspondent Sarah Greenolch is in Cologne, Germany for us this evening. Sarah, good evening from here. Despite the vaccine rollout, Europe is becoming more reliant on COVID tests than ever. Michael, good evening. Testing has become a huge part of life here, both to travel between countries but also within countries. In the past 12 days, I personally have had six PCR tests, Gosh. one leaving Italy where we were working, three back in self-isolation in London, one to come to Germany where to cover the flooding disaster and then another yesterday before we head back to the UK. So that's become quite normal. In this country, Germany, there has been a very strict set way of imposing restrictions over the past year or so to avoid... Uh, confusion and that is directly based on infections. So in this region at the moment there is about 19 cases per 100,000 people. So masks are still mandatory indoors and yesterday we needed to present a negative test result to check into our, our hotel. That increases along with the rate but there are now calls for this system to change uh, that it may no longer be as relevant given that vaccines are reducing the risk of serious illness. Here about 43% of the population is fully vaccinated. Experts say they'd like it to reach about 85% uh, to ensure there aren't serious problems with the Delta variant over autumn and winter. This week in France, uh, President Emmanuel Macron announced that from next month, people need to provide proof of a vaccine or a negative test result to travel uh, on trains and planes and also to enter restaurants wow. and bars. That uh, announcement was met with a huge surge in vaccine bookings, a record day sure. for jabs administered the very next day after that announcement. Uh, but there was also some protests which we saw across the country yesterday. Some incentive indeed. All right, but Sarah, as we approach the easing of the, most of the COVID restrictions in the United Kingdom, Freedom Day, I think they're calling it, Downing Street's been involved in a, in a bit of a blue here, called out for double standards. Uh, this is a bit of a mess, Michael, this morning. So yesterday, the British Health Secretary announced that he tested positive to COVID-19. Now, he is fully vaccinated and is only displaying mild symptoms. But the Prime Minister and the British Chancellor have both been pinged, we call it here, on the NHS app. Uh, so they have to self-isolate. But they released a statement this morning saying that they were taking part in a new daily testing pilot scheme, which meant they could still go to Downing Street and carry out business. That uh, was met with huge amounts of anger across yeah. the UK, given that half a million other people have been told to self-isolate in the past week. A U-turn within two hours, uh, the PM and the Chancellor are now self-isolating. But this, as you say, Michael, is all happening on the eve of Freedom Day. This is the end of all legal restrictions in England. No more masks, no more social distancing, nightclubs are reopening for the first time since March 2020. Case numbers are rising. So this is a very simplified way of looking at it. But to give you some idea of the link being broken between hospitalizations and deaths with the vaccine. At this time, at the end, at the end of last year, when uh, case numbers were about this point, about 50,000, there was on average about 500 deaths per day. Yesterday in the UK, there were 54,000 cases and 41 deaths. Gee. So at this point, it is looking a lot better. Those graphs are much better. Uh, but the next few weeks are going to be pr proof critical. 90% of adults in the UK have now had one jab. Two thirds of British adults are fully vaccinated. So I think a lot of eyes, Michael, over the next few weeks will be on England. Indeed, we'll be watching that very closely as well. Those numbers tell a real story, don't they? All right, Sarah Greenolch in Cologne, mm. Germany for us tonight. Thank you. The Tokyo Olympic Athletes Village is at the centre of a worrying COVID outbreak just days out from the start of the Games. 
Chris Reasons in Tokyo for us tonight. Chris, good evening to you. Two athletes now have tested positive. Is that right? Yeah, good evening, Michael. In fact, now three, two in the Olympic Village, but one has now been uh, discovered at the airport on arrivals. And that, uh, on top of that, we've got seven other members of the Olympic family also testing positive, including, uh, as if to prove that there are, nobody is immune from this, a member of the IOC himself, and the South Korean delegate. It takes to 55 now the total number of Olympic COVID positive cases since they started counting on July 1st. An extremely worrying development, but that, as you say, the most worrying of all is that it's now inside the village. Two athletes there testing positive. We don't know much about them. The Tokyo organisers wouldn't reveal much at all about their identity or even their nationality. Um, they're saying they do, they will tell us though that they are from the same country and from the same team and that they're connected to the positive case we brought you yesterday. That team official that uh, first tested positive inside the athletes' village. But extremely worrying, not only for organisers, but also for all the other teams in there. Interestingly enough, not only are they not telling us uh, what the, uh, the identity, the nationality of, the, um, of these two positives are, they aren't either telling the, the, uh, the other teams around them inside the village. 11,000 athletes tonight don't know where the threat is coming from, whether it is uh, from someone next door or yeah. a team indeed that might be living above or below them in the high-rise uh, village complex there. So some real issues yeah. and a lot of grumbling about that uh, behind the scenes from some of those other uh, Olympic committees. Now, uh, the Tokyo organisers and the IOC, though, are standing firm, saying that they believe they've got everything under control, to use their words, ring-fenced. They held a press conference about it this afternoon. Let's take a listen to some of what they had to say. Of course, it will be best not to have uh, any cases, but we've gone through a whole process of uh, simulation uh, uh, expecting that cases will emerge. And we did see one today and another yesterday. But uh, I believe that we have a controlled situation. And therefore, what I mean by that is that uh, a person who will be found positive will be ring-fenced. And Chris, flying into all of that, the Queensland Premier, she's currently on her way to Tokyo. Yeah, Michael, the final push for Brisbane to get the 2032 Games. Uh, the Premier insisting she has to go there. It's been a very controversial trip for her, of course. A lot of people uh, had uh, expressed their displeasure at the fact she was going. Tens of thousands signed that online petition. But uh, the Premier insisting that she needed to do it. And to be fair, the John Coates, the IOC Vice President, Australian delegate, said it would be a disaster if she didn't. And if anyone knows about IOC politics, it is Coates. So she's going there to present a 45 five-minute uh, final bid push, uh, both of uh, oral presentation and a video presentation. It'll happen Thursday night. The vote itself takes place at 6.15 mm. on the East Coast time, and uh, we'll know the result of that by 6.30, and uh, Channel 7 will be bringing that live throughout Queensland for our viewers there. But an extremely important decision just days away. A lot happening where you are. Chris Reason in Tokyo. Thanks for that, mate. Well, thank you for your company this evening. From all the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good Sunday night.